what, what I would say is, is the reason why it, it can be so complicated, this idea, is because everything does happen for a reason. But that, that doesn't mean you can discern the reason or that there's only one reason or that those reasons were designed in advance to teach a single lesson or lead to a specific result. When it comes to unwanted outcomes, identifying the potential causes doesn't ensure that you'll identify your particular cause. There's just tons of mystery. God isn't the cause of everything that happens, but he does cause good to grow from everything that happens. Like this is who God is, right? I, 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 I like to say it sometimes like this, like that not everything happens for a purpose. There's not always a purpose behind everything, but that God has the ability, like the incredible ability to pull purpose out of everything that happens. And there are reasons why things happen. If you wanna go down that road of everything happens for a reason, it may be there is a reason but oftentimes it's not because there was some like divine cosmic plan by God, you know, uh, designed in advance to teach a single lesson or lead to a specific result. So, hey, we're starting a brand new teaching series today that I'm really excited about. It's called Not True. I feel like I've been teaching um, lately uh, in a way that's been a little bit heavy. And so I'm, uh, we're going to start over this next month. It's going to be a little lighter, uh, but it's, but it's, uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be true. And so um, I, I want to um, get into this, this teaching series. Um, it's really built on this idea that I think that so much of our thinking is often held together by some short, catchy, uh, fortune cookie statements, right? Um, and, and we say these statements, we repeat these statements over and over again, to really kind of help us make sense of life, to make sense of things in life. So we say things like, you know, everything happens for a reason. We say things like, just follow your heart. We say things like, you know, uh, God can only judge me, or all sin is basically the same. You ever heard that one? Or, or maybe like the, the most uh, significant one that we hear over and over again is that God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that one? So we repeat these things often. Like we hear them, we repeat them, we post them. We pass them along, and I think that intuitively we all kind of understand that they are cliches, uh, but we find them strangely comforting, you know? And, and so um, I think partly because of, of the fact that, you know, they are so popular, so prevalent, you know, we, uh, we can just begin to assume that they are based in Scripture. We're like, where was that verse again, you know? Uh, and, and, and yet, what if some of these statements that we keep repeating over and over again are actually based on a misunderstanding. What if God never said that? What if they're not true? And so for the next month, we're going to be looking at some of these Christian cliches. I want to tackle a handful of them. Now, this is a series that could be 87 weeks long because there are so many of them. There's so many different thoughts floating out there. I would love to take the time to address and get into all of them, uh, but I can't. I just don't have the time. And so for this series through the month of September, I'm going to, I'm going to take a handful of the most familiar ones, the ones with sort of the big thoughts around them, you know? Um, and so uh, partly because of that, because there's so many big thoughts, uh, they're nuanced, I, I'm not going to be able to get into every aspect of these, these things. I just hope to be able to kind of build a framework that gives us a better understanding of, of what is true when we uh, hear these, these thoughts, when we say these thoughts. Um, and so today I want us to, to look at the very, very familiar cliche uh, that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Now this is a statement we have all heard. Anybody Right, very familiar with this. We've all heard this. We've heard it more times than we can count, certainly more times than we can remember. Uh, it's a very familiar phrase that people say. Many of us have probably said it frequently at many different times. And so the question I want to ask today is, is it true? 
Does everything really happen for a reason? I want you to look at this, this thought uh, from uh, Marilyn Monroe, of all people. She said, everything happens for a reason. People change so you can learn to let go. Things go wrong so you can learn to appreciate them when they're right. You believe lies so you eventually learn to trust no one but yourself. And sometimes good things fall apart so better things can fall together. Now, I want you to just kind of keep this quote up here and look at this. Like, it's interesting, right? If I were to remove Marilyn Monroe's name, if I would have, if I would have just, just put the quote up there and told you, you know, the Bible says, you know, somewhere. Now, there's some of you that have been confused, and you would have been like, okay, where's that reference? I'd like to read that. Others of you would have been like, man, that's a great verse. Like, man, so inspiring, right? And I think that's why we got to go through a series like this, because we need to know uh, what is actually true versus maybe what feels right and what feels true. I think in an information age where there are so many people posting and reposting, people constantly creating new content, whether it's quotes or memes, and then floating them out there on the internet, there's so much opportunity for confusion to set in, making it difficult to know what is actually true. And so most everything that we take in online now, we have to wonder where it originated from, you know? Like, if it's something worth believing or not. You know, it, it used to be that if anything was printed or, or, or whatever, like that was, that was gospel. And, and now we're at a point where it's like, I, I don't even know if, if this is true or not. And so this is what I think, if you're taking notes. I think that what can happen in our day and age is that we can find ourselves naturally predisposed to an idea that then becomes reinforced by something we see posted online somewhere. To the point that we start repeating and relying on this idea, assuming that if it feels right to us, that it must be good and it must be from God. We can assume that because something sounds spiritual or because something sounds religious, that it must be biblical. But I want you to look at what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 21 through 22. He says, test everything. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now, he's talking to new believers here in this, in this, uh, this city He's telling these new believers how to live their lives. Now, you look at this verse, it's, 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 it's really powerful advice for us today, isn't it? It's like we should probably, you know, take heed to this, and yet it was powerful advice then because there were all sorts of strange ideas floating around. Paul's writing in the epicenter of Greek philosophy, so there is all sorts of theories and ideas and statements and beliefs different stories all floating around. And this is really what he's saying here in this verse. Paul is saying that just because something is popular or just because something is repeated often or just because it's clever doesn't necessarily mean it's true. So therefore, test everything. Got it? It's interesting to me that the power of this phrase that everything happens for a reason really has nothing to do with where it came from because most of us learned for the first time today that it was a famous thing that Marilyn Monroe said many years ago. Not that she originated the phrase, but she certainly popularized it. And so even though most of us weren't aware of her influence on this phrase, just about all of us are familiar with it. We've heard it many times. And if we're honest, I think most of us, upon hearing this phrase, that everything happens for a reason, can actually feel like there's credence to this idea, to this thought, that there's validity to it. I want you to think about the different times when you might have heard this phrase Everything happens for a reason. Like, what was the context? What was going on? Why did somebody say it? 
I think for most of us, it was probably in the wake of something horrible that happened, right? Something disappointing that took place. That's, that's usually when people say something uh, like that. And so some of you maybe have, heard, have had someone say to you, you know, something like, hey, you know, I know that having to fix your water heater just drained your entire savings account, but just remember, right? Man, everything happens for a reason. Or I know that you just lost out on your dream job. Or I know that you were just passed up for that promotion, right? Or I know that that woman that you're in love with just left you for somebody else. Or I know that you, you know, a loved one just died, whatever. But hey, just, just, just here's the good news. I want you just to know the good news is that everything happens for a reason. And before I talk about whether or not this is true, I want to talk about something that I think we all have to go through to kind of get to the truth and that is that there is something about this phrase that makes us want it to be true. I think there's some really clear reasons for why we want this statement that everything happens for a reason to be true. Let me just give you a few of them. I think we want to believe, number one, that nothing is random because randomness is scary. We want to believe this. We want to believe that if there is a God who loves me that I can trust to call all the shots, and that everything is going according to some big cosmic plan where every detail is predetermined, then nothing is random because randomness is scary. We want to, we want to kind of believe this, that there's this, this, this sort of blueprint plan, you know, the master plan that God has, and he's kind of pulling this string and pushing this button because randomness is scary. I mean, I want you to think about, you know, just, just a hyperbolic example. You know, how many of you would go to Hy-Vee today after church if if uh, they said that one out of every 100 people who comes into their store today is going to die. Um, surprise, like, you, you know, not going not gonna to know, but just one out of 100. So pretty good odds. We'd still love you to come to our store. I don't think you're going to roll the dice on that one, right? Like we don't like random. <laughs> like randomness is scary. And so we want to believe that nothing is random. We want to believe that there is like divine order, that there is sort of this, this cosmic master plan to every single detail of life. We also want to believe, number two, that bad things have to be followed by good things because life needs to naturally balance itself out. You ever found yourself wanting to believe this one? Like, oh man, this terrible thing just happened, but it's okay because now I'm due for something good to happen? We reason with ourselves. We think that, you know, life can't just be all the same thing all the time. It has to counterbalance. I'm due now. The universe owes me going through all these bad things is gonna set me up for something good. Like, we wanna believe this. And then number three, we also wanna believe that every ending ought to be a happy ending. Like, that's, that's how we wanna, we wanna believe. Like, who gets excited about watching a movie where you get to the end and everyone dies? You're like, I guess there's not gonna be a part two to this one, you know? Like, like who wants to watch a movie like that? Nobody wants to watch movies like this. No one wants to read stories like this. And most of the time, the movies that we do watch are the ones where we know that even though all these bad things are happening, there's still going to be a happy ending where everyone lives happily ever after. These are the stories we want to, to watch and take in. And I think that most of us are actually willing to suffer through something as long as we can guarantee two things, that it won't last forever and that eventually there's going to be a happy ending to it. That's kind of how we think. And, and so you can kind of like, and I'm not trying to make light of any, any, any of us who, who, who go down this road, but, but, but you can kind of see where sort of that fortune cookie thinking comes in. It's, it, it's sort of like superstitious. It's like wishful thinking. It's like, I'm going to put it out there into the universe and hope it comes back good to 
to me. There's a lot of karma type of thinking, which is not rooted in Scripture at all. And so you can put that, that list of the three back up there maybe uh, for, for a second here. Um, I look at this list, and full honesty, uh, I, I want these things to be true. Like, you know, I, I want to believe these things. I like these ideas. I want to be able to rely on them. I want to be able to count on them. But what I've learned over and over again is that just because I want something to be true doesn't mean that it is, right? Like, I, I would, you know, I'd love it to be true that I have like the abs of Brad Pitt in Fight Club. I'd like that to be true, but no matter how much I believe that and want that to be true, it's like, I think a lot of you are like, man, I think he's going for the Chris Farley look. You know, like, I don't know, I don't know what, what the deal is here, but like that, John Candy maybe uh, or whatever. But um, just because I want something to be true doesn't mean that it is true. And look, there are times in my life where, you know, I think about all these things, there's times in my life where this idea of everything happening for a reason uh, has really been pretty comforting for me. You know, going through this or that, and I'm like, man, everything, okay, this idea of everything happening for a reason, like, it, it comforts me. But th there's also been times where this idea of everything happening for a reason was completely horrifying to me. I remember going through, uh, probably to this point in my life, the most horrific experience ever in 2017, when, when my uncle uh, had, had a massive heart attack that eventually he passed away from. You guys know the story. I've, most of you do. At least I've shared it a lot. But I remember the intensity of my emotions, right? I, I remember um, knowing in that moment that there's nothing that could really make the situation better. I remember people coming to see us, people visiting the hospital, coming in and talking to us. And I remember someone uh, uh, talking to me. I, I, think, I think they meant well, but them just saying, hey, you know, just remember everything happens for a reason. And... Uh, that might be the closest I've ever been to punching someone in the face. Like, kidding, not kidding. You know, like, like seriously, like, like so much emotion. Like, and I think most people mean well when they say something like this, but in reality, it's just not helpful at all. And, and because this is what happens. We, we then, like, sit in moments like this, and we begin to wonder this question, is this what God's like? Is this what God does? Is this what God does? Is this how it works? Does he cause something bad to happen so that something else that's good will happen as a result later? Is this how it all works? You ever played this stuff out with scenarios in your life? You ever played this out with like loved ones in your life? Like, like okay, all this is going on, but like, yeah, there's something better going on. And it just gets to be very confusing because you're like, man, did God cause you to have this horrific addiction that almost killed you and ruined your life because he wanted you to later on have a good testimony? Is that like how it all works? Like, did God cause your marriage to unravel and for your heart to break so that later on you could find someone who treats you so much better? Is that, is that how it works? Is that what God does? Did God cause you to suffer abuse at the hands of someone you knew and loved and trusted so that you could know what it really means to practice forgiveness and so that you could teach others how to forgive? Is that, is that how God, God works? And, and then, you know, you follow that line of thinking and it even gets like even more kind of wild and hyperbolic. Like, like, for instance, did God cause the Holocaust to happen because he was trying to teach some people a lesson or to get a point across so that something good could happen later on? And we start to wonder, man, is this what God does? Is this what God does? And then like, what about earthquakes? And what about tsunamis? And what about tornadoes and wildfires and all that stuff? Like, do these things really happen for a reason? Is there a reason behind all of this? 
And let me just say, look, it's not difficult for you to go online and find people who believe that this actually is the way that it works. There are people who teach that and believe that. I think it's, I think it's dead wrong. I, I, think, I think it gives us a complete misunderstanding of who God is. I think, I think that it, it paints a picture and an image of God that is actually kind of frightful, kind of scary. It brings up this question that we gotta ask, we gotta wrestle with. Is every horrible thing that happens in life planned by God in order to make room for some hidden good that is coming on later on down the road? And if that's how it works, then does God just not care about the collateral damage that his plans are gonna cause in the lives of very real people who are going to experience very real pain? Does he just not care? And can you begin to see, like all of you, can you begin to see how this type of thinking about God can take its toll on someone's faith long-term? Right? So, yeah, I don't think it's gonna, it would be very difficult for, for us to, to begin to think about people who, you know, we know who have given up and walked away from the faith and the church because this was their perception of who God is and the way God works. You probably know, know some people like this. Like, if that's God, I don't, I, don't, I don't want that. And in the wake of some tragic experience, someone said to them, hey, remember, and everything happens for a reason. They're left to think about how God must have intentionally done this to them. So the truth is, there are lots of possible reasons for the disappointing and destructive things that happen to us. I wanna just give uh, you a handful uh, to look at. Um, and I'm gonna try to go through these fast, but possible reasons for why disappointing and destructive things happen. Number one, um, it could be that God did it. Let's just get that out of the way first. It could be that God did it. Uh, now, this is pretty rare. These are rare examples that we see in Scripture. There's an example in, like, Genesis 38 that I have up here. This is where, like, the uh, Bible says this, this husband of, of uh, Judah's daughter, uh, uh, he, he does a bunch of wicked things, and so God decides to kill him, right? So God, God, God puts him to death. So um, the thing about examples like these in Scriptures where you see God kind of step in and, like, you know, snuff someone out is because... Uh, they're, they're, they're interesting examples where nobody is surprised that it happened. It's not like, oh, wow, I can't believe. Like, no, it's like, hey, everyone seems to understand that that person was disobedient and that they had been warned many, 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 many times. And so this is a possible example. Uh, number two, uh, reason for why disappointing and destructive things happen, sometimes it's like the devil did it, right? And you use the example of like Job, you know, which is a, uh, where, where the devil asks God for permission to bring some temptation into Job's life. Um, there's been so many times in my life, especially in my younger days, um, where I thought this way about just about everything that was bad. I'm like, man, the devil did it. Got a flat tire. Stupid devil, you know? Uh. And the reason why we have a category for this is because there's some evidence to it, right? It's specifically here in, in, in the book of Job. And, and again, like, let, let me just say examples like this are pretty rare. Uh, primarily because the devil is not omnipresent, right? He can't be everywhere at once. And so if the devil is actually doing something specific to you, that means that you're pretty high up on his list because of all the places he could be, he chose to be right there messing with you. Like, it is an example. It is a possibility, but it's, 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 it's one of the possible reasons. The third possibility is that nature did it, right? Nature did it. We see this in Matthew 8. We see this with the story of Jesus. 
on, on the Sea of Galilee, we see the storm rise up, right? Uh, rain clouds and storms are real, right? Not everything is because of the devil. They happen. Nature is real. There are natural laws that exist that God doesn't consistently tamper with. For instance, gravity is a real thing, okay? No matter how much faith you might have, if you jumped off the roof today, you would be severely injured and you might even die. And it's not because God wanted you to die. It's because gravity is real. And you and I have the ability to test how real gravity is if we want to, because gravity is a very real thing. Like, you know, genetics are a real thing. It's well known that we pass things on to one another from generation to generation. We pass our DNA. We pass on certain proclivities that we might have. Like, it's a real thing. Genetics are real. Cholesterol is real. Sometimes we want to blame the devil when it's like, hey, yeah, that was like, that was like a bad diet, you know? Um... It's just a natural thing that happens. And so we, we go, man, I'm like, why is this bad thing happening? Why am I dealing with all these destructive things? Sometimes it's, it's God. Sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes it's, it's nature that did it. Number four, sometimes society did it. Like there's this, whole, there's this whole conversation in Romans 12, real, real famous scriptures about how people can get sort of swept up into certain cultural ways of thinking. These patterns of destruction that, that, that aren't good. There's like popularized ideas in culture that we kind of run with and it actually leads to destruction in our lives. It leads to a thinking of like, well, this is just how we do things in culture. Uh, it's how society does things. This is something that we've culturally accepted as normal, and then we follow along, not intending to do something wrong. And then there are consequences from these societal or cultural decisions, and we see this a lot, where there are certain customs that gain some traction in culture, and then later on people begin to realize maybe this isn't a good idea after all. So sometimes society did it. Number five, sometimes they did it. This is probably my favorite one because we can just blame other people. They did it. We think to ourselves, like, things don't necessarily happen because of some cosmic, like, predetermined plan or reason. Sometimes things just happen because other people are stupid. Other people do stuff, right? It wasn't my fault. It's their fault. It's them, and they did it. And one of the first examples of this we see in Genesis chapter 4 where we have two brothers, Cain and Abel, Abel is this brother who's just a little too good at everything, you know? Like, just a punk little brother. And because of this, Cain hates him. Completely hates him. And it reach a, reaches a boiling point where Scripture tells us Cain rises up and kills his brother, Abel. Now, we look at that, and you try to pass that event through this idea that everything happens for a reason. I mean, like, like look, like, Abel's not murdered in this story for some specific predetermined reason. Like, he's murdered because his brother was jealous, Sometimes it's just that they did it. And number six, like the last one is sometimes it's because I did it. Why bad things happen? Why destructive things take place in my life? Oftentimes the case uh, that the reason why disappointment and destruction exists in certain areas of my life is because of me. It's because of me. It's not because of God, it's because of me. Maybe it's the result of some sin patterns or a specific habit or a specific proclivity or tendency that I have that's wreaking havoc in my life. Maybe it's not even the result of like overt sin per se. Maybe it's really just the result of doing some things that are stupid. Like, it's just, it's just how many of y'all know that stupidity has consequences? It just does. It's just, there's natural consequences to doing things that are not wise. And here's what I think makes this cliche, everything happens for a reason so complicated. So we look at that list of six, okay? 
there's some possible reasons. And the reason, what I would say is, is the reason why it can be so complicated, this idea, is because everything does happen for a reason. But that doesn't mean you can discern the reason or that there's only one reason or that those reasons were designed in advance to teach a single lesson or lead to a specific result. When it comes to unwanted outcomes, identifying the potential causes doesn't ensure that you'll identify your particular cause. There's just tons of mystery. And this is sometimes incredibly infuriating to us because we at times go through things that are difficult to understand why they happened and we are so addicted to getting an explanation, aren't we? Like we want an explanation, we wanna know why. And there are reasons why things happen. So if you wanna go down that road of everything happens for a reason, it may be there is a reason, but oftentimes it's not because there was some like divine cosmic plan by God, you know, uh, designed in advance to teach a single lesson or lead to a specific result. And we kind of see some examples of this in, in Matthew chapter 11. I want to I just kind of get through this, um, this section. And, and uh, um, so hang with me here. Um, this is, this is a, a portion of scripture about um, John the Baptist. And uh, John has been arrested. He is now in prison. And it says in, in uh, Matthew 11, two through three, that when John heard in prison, what Christ was doing, what Jesus was doing, he sent the disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? So he's wanting his, so John has his own disciples, right? We, we see this in other places too. And he sends these men who have visited him in prison to go ask Jesus if he's the one who was to come. He's asking him, if, are, you, are you the Messiah who was promised? Are you, are you really the Christ? Are you really the, the, the one that, that was prophesied about who would come and deliver, deliver us? Or should we be expecting someone else to come other than you? When we read these verses, we wanna ask the question, what is it here that John is, is really asking? And why is John asking this question? So to do that, we have to have some context. So John the Baptist was an incredible man. He was good and godly. He was also eccentric and had a really big mouth. Like, and this cannot be understated, okay? Like he, I mean, he was, he was just said whatever. Like he was, he was, he was a little, little bit of, of a wild man. The Bible really describes him that way. He seemed to have no tact. He was pretty unfiltered. He would say it like it is. And so in this story, John the Baptist has been thrown into prison, not because he necessarily did, did something wrong, but because, you know, he made the wrong people mad. And uh, King Herod throws John into prison but King Herod has a reputation as well, and his reputation uh, is one who was powerful, vengeful, unpredictable. There's all these stories in ancient history about all the crazy things that Herod did. Like he had, he had most of his wives and children killed because uh, he felt like threatened by them. Uh, he murdered anyone who he felt was like a political threat to him, anyone. Uh, even if they weren't an actual threat, he was just a little bit paranoid, uh, a, lot, a lot bit uh, paranoid. Um, if he could convince himself that they were a threat, they would be dead, okay? Um, and so the longer that John the Baptist is holed up in prison, the more he, become, he comes to the logical conclusion that he, he's, just, he's just not getting out. He's been arrested. He's been thrown in prison by this kind of lunatic, madman, king. He's never gonna get out. And the longer he's in prison, the more convinced he becomes that he's going, the more convinced he becomes that he's gonna die in there. And so, naturally, he begins to think about how he has spent his life. Now, he has been a prophet. Like, he has been the forerunner for Jesus. 
Right? He has been telling people, he's been preparing the way. He has been telling people to, to look to Jesus right, as the Messiah. But now in prison, now he has to naturally begin to think about how he has spent his life and if it was worth it. If, if what he was doing with his life all this time was really worth it, and he started, you can kind of feel the panic in his voice a little bit as he realizes he's probably gonna die here in prison. And even though he's a prophet, like he's, like, right, he's deeply spiritual, he's devoted to God, he does the same thing that you and I do when we suffer. He wants to know why this is happening. He wants to know what this means, and he wants to know if, if, if Jesus can get him out of this thing that he's in. Like, like you hear it, like, like if, you, if you just kind of kind of catch the emotion in this story, it's like, it's like John is saying, like Jesus, like please tell me that this really bad thing that's happening to me is only happening to set me up for a really good thing that's gonna happen next. Like you kind of feel that expectation. Like if you're really the Messiah, are you sure you're the Messiah who's come? And in verse four, Jesus replies to John's disciples. He gives them a message to take back to John. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Okay, do you wanna know if I'm the Messiah or not? Tell them, tell them what you hear and see. Tell him what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And some of you may be thinking that he didn't really uh, answer uh, the question directly, well, welcome to conversations with Jesus, right? He doesn't typically an answer questions directly. And what he's doing here and you may miss this if you're not super familiar with, with Old Testament prophecy, the book of Isaiah, but he is alluding, his statement, he's alluding to specific prophecies from ancient Jewish literature, specifically in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. He's quoting directly out of Isaiah 61 here about who, prophecies about who the Christ would be, about who the Messiah would be, the savior of the world, and the signs that would cause people to identify that person. And so he, you know, um, you know, Isaiah 61, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, right? And, and, and to, to uh, uh, give sight to the blind, right? To, uh, I mean, so you go down the list of all the things, and in, in, in Isaiah 61, it says to set the captives free also. Jesus leaves that one out of this. He, leave, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't mention that here when he tells them to go back to talk to John. These are men who would have known the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish prophecies about the Messiah. John is one who would have been familiar with Isaiah 61, prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus intentionally leads out that part about setting the captives free because he's letting John know that he's not getting out of prison. He's not getting out of prison. John, like most Jews, would have had some assumptions about how the Messiah should handle a situation like this Jesus sends this message back and he's basically telling John to draw your own conclusions. He's saying, look, like, if you wanna know if I'm the Messiah, like, look, there are blind people getting their sight back, lame people walking, leprosy uh, is being cured, the deaf are hearing, people are being raised back to life, we're preaching the good news. Does you draw your own conclusion if, you, if, if, if I'm the Messiah or not? John would have had all of his assumptions about the Messiah and how the Messiah would have or should have shown up in a situation like this. It's part of the reason why he's asking the question about who Jesus is because his assumption is that the real Messiah wouldn't let him just die in prison. That the real Messiah would seize political power, overthrow all the people who are oppressing the Jews, and specifically overthrow those who are incarcerating John. This is not how John would prefer God in flesh to behave 
He wants Jesus to set him free so that, so that all of his suffering could be validated, so there could be a reason for why he's gone through what he's gone through. If Jesus rose to power, then all of John's suffering would have happened for a reason. And Jesus knows that these assumptions exist in John. He knows this. And this is why he says this in verse six. Look at what he says after all of this. So John wants to get the answer if he's the Messiah. Jesus sends John's disciples back with that answer. And then in verse six, Jesus says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. He gets it. He understands what's going on in John. He's beginning to question. Really interesting words. Now think logically with me. Why would someone be at risk of losing their faith at the discovery that the miracle working Jesus is the Messiah? Because he's communicating, yes, I am the Messiah. That's something to be excited about, right? And I think the reason why someone would be at risk of losing their faith is because even though Jesus can do miracles, he's letting John know in this moment that he's not gonna do the miracle that John wants him to do right now. That's why we become at risk of giving up and walking away because oftentimes Jesus doesn't just do the exact miracle that we want him to do when we want it to be done. Jesus is is essentially telling John this. He's saying that the reason why your suffering isn't full of the kind of purpose you want it to be full of and isn't gonna trigger a revolution has multiple complexities to it. Your suffering is a combination of the fact that Herod is an insecure narcissist, okay? And that you have a big mouth. Like these are these are two. Like and I know it's kind of funny, but like I'm not really trying to be cute here. But it's real. Like these are the reasons why. Part of the reasons why John is there. Like like these these are nothing have nothing to do with like a predetermined plan by God. So John being in prison it isn't because everything happens for a reason necessarily. Jesus is really telling him, hey, we're living at a time where there's no there's not due process, where there is a lot of political unrest. They're looking for a scapegoat. And Herod is going to make a drunken decision in a few days to have you uh, beheaded. But don't lose heart. Like, I'm, I'm still at work. Like, it's going to be all right. And if you're John the Baptist, this is not what you want to hear. But here's what I've noticed, if you're taking notes today, is that God rarely re- uh, responds to our requests to remove difficult circumstances, but he always answers our prayers to redeem difficult circumstances. That's a big difference. The big difference. And here's where this belief that I have comes from. It comes from Romans chapter eight, verse 28, very famous coffee cup uh, verse that, that many of us are familiar with. And it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. A lot of Christians point to this verse to justify their belief that everything happens for a reason. But that's not what this verse is teaching. It's not what the apostle Paul is saying. He is saying something so much deeper and so much different than that. What he's actually saying here is this, if you're taking notes, he's saying that God isn't the cause of everything that happens, but he does cause good to grow from everything that happens. Like this is who God is, right? I, I, I like to say it sometimes like this, like that not everything happens for a purpose. There's not always a purpose behind everything, but that God has the ability, like the incredible ability to pull purpose out of everything that happens, you know? Because um, he, he has the ability, like he's so good at redeeming difficult circumstances that we walk through and go through. Some of you might be thinking, man, this is essentially the same thing. Isn't this just basically semantics? I think that there are actually two really, really, really um, different thoughts here because there's a difference in saying, you know, my friend helped me rebuild my house after after it burned down versus saying my friend lit my house on fire, burnt it down behind my back so that he could help me rebuild it. 
right? One of these scenarios makes you not trust your friend. But that's what so many people believe about God. They're like, yeah, there's some greater purpose, but in order to get to that purpose, he had to like burn my house down behind my back and cause me to go through all of this like hell on earth so that eventually we can get here and do, and, and do, and do the good thing and hug and, oh, I'm so glad you were there for me. Like, how twisted is that? If that's who God is, it's very difficult to trust him. And so I wanna, I wanna give you a big thought today as I'm, as I'm getting closer uh, to the end. I'm about to close. You guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, and it's this, while God is directing the whole of human history, he doesn't direct everything that happens to you personally. He, he is, like he is in charge like he is directing the whole of human history. Like, like it is all moving towards uh, like, a, like, a, like a purpose. It's all moving towards an end. Like, like he is absolutely directing the whole of human history, but he doesn't dictate everything that happens. Like, uh, and I think that getting this upside down is what will cause you to believe that God has it out for you every time your life isn't going the way you want it to go. Man, God, God must be upset with me again. Like got another flat tire, didn't find a parking spot whatever, got passed over for a promotion, someone stole something from me, and we just start to think, man, God has it out for me. Went through something even, maybe something worse than that. Think of all the horrific things that we walk through. I want you to listen to me. God is not sitting in heaven plotting every detail of your life. He's just not. He's not inflicting pain on you intentionally so that he can do something else with it later on down the road. Like that's, that's such a terrible understanding of God. It's not who the scriptures reveal God to be. Here's, here's the better way to understand this. In reality, God has organized the world to work a certain way, okay? He's granted free will. There's agency. Like, we have the ability to choose. Like, there, there, are, there, are, there are natural, like, laws. There are natural things that just happen. Sometimes God intervenes. Sometimes God overwhelms like the natural with the supernatural. Sometimes he intervenes and sometimes he doesn't. And there's not a lot of justification given to us for why he does and doesn't. And it's a mystery that we're gonna wrestle with until heaven. Sometimes we see God do amazing things that so you're like, wow. And then sometimes we're like, it's the exact same thing. Like, why did you not do here what you did there? We're gonna wrestle with that question until heaven. But in the story of John the Baptist, do you notice that Jesus never explains why to John? Never tells him why. Like, why is this happening to me? Why don't you just intervene? And if John needed a clear answer to why this was happening to him in order for him to move forward, he never would have moved forward. And what we see in John's story is that he actually receives this sort of incomplete answer from Jesus, the answer he doesn't want. And as a result, he still begins to move forward. Like, like, like he, he still pushes people and points people to Jesus. Like, even with an answer that he doesn't want until the day that, Herod ordered him to be, to be beheaded. And I think, I, I, got, a, I got a question that I, that I want you to, to consider, and it's this, or a thought I want you to consider. Often our obsession with why keeps us from the more important question of what now. Oftentimes our obsession with why keeps us from the more important question of what now. Because we are, we are, we are addicted to, get, to explanations. We want an explanation, we want a reason, we want to know why this happened. I mean, sometimes there's not a good reason. I tell you what, like in, in my experience, in my career, I've, I've sat with so many people in times of tragedy and not had an answer. 
because they don't need a reason. They just need you to sit there. They just need to know that they're not alone. They need to know that in, in, in spite of all that they're walking through, God still sees them, knows them, loves them, that they're gonna make it. They get, honestly, the, 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 when, I, when I've been with people in, in absolute tragedy, like the number one thing that I say is you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. You gotta keep believing you're gonna make it. This isn't it. This, it's not over. Like you're gonna make it, you're gonna get through. Like it's the number one thing I say. And because is we have to, we have to, we have to uh, be able to sit with people in, in, in these realities. Like it, it, people who are wondering why, there is maybe no reason. The question we have to ask is like, okay, what now? Like this isn't great, but what now? Like what am I gonna do? Though a righteous man fails or falls seven times, he still gets up. What now? What am I gonna do? I'm gonna get up, right? I think this happens to us a lot of times where we, we struggle to ever get to that question of what do I do now because we're still so stuck on why. So stuck on why. And so I wanna encourage us to maybe flip things around, maybe, maybe not use that phrase as often that everything happens for a reason. I think, I think something better to say is something like this, and these are just some examples. I think, I think it's better to say something like, I'm sorry you're going through this. I can only imagine how hard it is for you to go through this. I don't, know exactly, I don't know exactly why this is happening, but I do know that God loves you, is with you, and is for you, that your story matters, it isn't over, and when you're ready, I'm here to help you move forward. I think these are much better things to say than to come to somebody and say, hey, like, man, just, just remember, like this fortune cookie deal, like everything happens for a reason. Like I think it can be so difficult and harmful. And, and I think for us, without even realizing it, it like actually subverts the correct image of God that we are meant to have. And we start to like imagine him as sort of this puppet master pulling strings, pushing buttons, like, you know, doing all this stuff. And like somehow he is now the author of every good and every bad thing that happens to me. And that's just not how it works. He is a good father. He loves you with an everlasting love. Like he's crazy about, about you. He does not inflict harm and damage into your life. He doesn't cause disease. He's not the author of, of evil. We gotta make sure we get our picture of God right. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your heads for just a moment? Won't take long. But if you're just here today and you would say, Pastor Jordan, you know, you're talking this morning and, and I'm listening to what you're saying and I, th I think I've had maybe a distorted view or image of God all this time. I, I, I viewed him as kind of this, uh, I don't know, this, this puppet master. I viewed him as maybe not being good, not being kind. Uh, and and I, need to, I need to walk out of here today with like, like, like a complete flip in my mind of who God is. I need, I need, I need to get a, a correct image of God going in my life. Can I just see you for a moment? Can I see your hand for a moment if that's you? You just need to kind of stop picturing God as the author of every bad thing that comes into your life. Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your grace in this place today. I thank you, God, that, uh, man, you are kind, you are good, you are gentle, you are loving, you are patient. I thank you that when we look at Jesus, when we see Jesus in the Gospels, we see you. 
And Lord, I pray over every person on the sound of my voice, God, right now, who may be walking with sort of a distorted idea or image or view of God, where we just think these thoughts, man, everything kind of happens for a reason. I thank you, God, that, that uh, man, you're so much bigger than that. You don't just leave things to randomness. Like, I thank you that you just, uh, you, man, I thank you that you do step into our life. That you do make things good. I thank you that you do redeem. I thank you, God, that I have seen time and time and time again your faithfulness to take difficult circumstance after difficult circumstance and redeem them for your good and for your glory. But may I never get confused to think that you redeemed those after you had caused those things to happen. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would walk out of here just, just renewed in our thinking and in our mind. We'd reject maybe some of these common phrases. We'd find truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.